In the spring of 2011, our daughter, Evangeline Joy, was just turning one year old. We were still living in New York City. We were living right on Central Park West, and it was one of those long, really bad New York City winters. I don't know if you remember that winter. Lots of snowstorms, lots of gray, lots of cold. And as far as Evangeline knew, she was only one. That was kind of all there was to the world, you know. She'd been cooped up in our Manhattan apartment all winter for this long winter. But it was springtime now. It was like around May, I think, in the memory of this story. And I remember just one years old, we strapped her into her stroller. You know, it's like a five-point harness. It's all safety first these days for these kids. So we strapped her into her stroller And we brought her down the elevator through the foyer of the building. And I remember the doorman picked up her stroller and placed her down in front of the building where she saw Central Park. Now, this was that day in spring. You know, every spring there's like a day when all the little buds on the trees just pop. And the whole place is a fluorescent green, just radiant springtime beauty. And Evangeline, as we were strapping her into her stroller, she was really grumpy and kind of cross, and we brought her down the elevator, and the doorman placed her in front of the building, and suddenly she saw springtime right in front of her, and she let out what I can only describe as a joyful squeal, and all four of her limbs shot out from the stroller like this. She was so happy to behold springtime. The longer the winter is, the more glorious and radiant springtime is. And the more we observe Advent, the more we train ourselves to actually wait, the more glorious and radiant the coming of Christ is for us as well. In the Bible, there's a similar metaphor to the one I just gave to you of my one-year-old daughter squealing in her stroller. In the Bible, it actually likens it to a baby cow being released from its stall. Malachi 4 verse 2 says that faith or seeing God is like being a baby cow being released from your stall. Do you know this verse? I had memorized this verse years ago, but I'd never really witnessed it. We were at a petting zoo in Michigan some years ago, and I heard this commotion behind us, and I turned around, and sure enough, there was a baby cow coming through some wooden doors out of its stall and dancing around. It was the most awkward, hilarious thing I've ever seen. Have you seen a baby cow leap? Malachi 4 verse 2 says this, But for those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You will go out as calves leaping from their stalls. How do you like that when the Bible says you're like a baby cow? (laughs) The Bible says that faith is like that. That joy, leaping joy, is the natural response to being set free. Joy is the natural response to being set free. That's really what this story today is all about with Elizabeth and Mary and John the baptizer in Elizabeth's womb. It's about joy as a natural response to being set free. Let's hear these words again. We'll start with Luke 1 verse 39. It says this, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
You know, when we think back all these years later on Mary and on Elizabeth, I think sometimes we have a, maybe a, um, like a glossed over view of these women. But it's important for us to remember these were real human beings, Elizabeth and Mary, and they were each in their own predicaments. The text tells us that Elizabeth and Zechariah had been longing to conceive a child. It had been not just years, but decades for them. The Bible says that they were on their knees praying that God would allow them to conceive. All they wanted was a child. You know, in the ancient world, it was even harder to be barren, as the biblical word calls it. Nowadays, it's hard. It can be very emotionally trying. But in the ancient world, if you couldn't have kids, you didn't have a future. It was your security. It was your foundation. It was your future as a family that you needed to have children. And here was Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they couldn't bear children at all. So they were praying, and they were praying, and they were desperate. And finally, Elizabeth did conceive. And you might think, oh, now she can breathe a sigh of relief. But remember, again, in the ancient world, once you're pregnant, you don't necessarily have the highest chances of actually delivering the baby. A lot of people died in childbirth back then. So Elizabeth is probably on pins and needles, pregnant as she is. And Mary, for her part, well, Mary's in even worse shape. We have this kind of romanticized view of Mary, but recall that Mary was pregnant out of wedlock. If you think that's a scandal now, it was even more so back then. Mary was actually in trouble. Did you notice in verse 39, she may be on the run. It says this in verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. She's literally running for the hills. There were people in her time who interpreted the law in such a way that if they found a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock, they thought it was their job to stone her to death. This is the state that Mary's in. She's scared. She's on the run. And she greets Elizabeth in her own state of probably anxiety. And yet in the midst of this scene of these two women in their predicaments, the gospel writer Luke shows us this almost hilarious image right in the middle of it all of little tiny, not yet born John leaping in Elizabeth's womb. Now, I've never been pregnant, obviously, <laughs> but some of you women in the room know what it feels like to have a human life inside you move around a little bit. What did it feel like for Elizabeth? It says the Holy Spirit indwelled her and she exclaimed, the baby in my womb has leaped for joy. Why? Because Mary entered the room. And who does Mary carry already at this point in the story? Our Lord, who would come and set the world free. Somehow, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, John, not yet born John, knew that that's what was happening. When Jesus entered the room through Mary, he leaped for joy because joy is the natural response to being set free. In fact, Luke, the gospel writer, shows us in three different locations in the, in the nativity story that this is a story of joy. I did a little word study just looking around at the gospel of Luke, and I noticed that first in Luke chapter 
1, verse 12 through 14, the angel is talking to Zechariah. You remember this part of the story where he's saying, your wife is going to conceive. And what does the angel say that Zechariah is going to experience? Joy and gladness. And then in Luke chapter 2, this is probably the most familiar one, where the angel appears in the heavenlies to the shepherds. What does the angel first say? Before the whole choir, the heavenly host of angels comes and joins him, he says, I bring you good news of great joy. And then here in this chapter today, verse 44, Elizabeth says, For behold, when the sound, Mary, of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Christmas is a story of joy. Just like my daughter beholding the radiance of spring felt spontaneous joy, just like a baby cow being released from its stall dances around for joy, so we at the end of Advent when we realize that Christ has come, that Christmas is here, we too can experience joy. I realize even saying that, even repeating that over and over, there might be some people in this room who are sitting there thinking, I could use a little bit of that joy. Why doesn't Christmas feel joyful to me? And the reality is we will experience joy insofar as we realize that we are captive and that Jesus is the one who can set us free. Just a couple of chapters later in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is all grown up now. And he's giving his first sermon. He's in Nazareth. And he says, the Holy Spirit is upon me and I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom for the captives. Some of you in this room I know have done prison ministry before. And you know, going into a prison, when you talk about the gospel, you tell people that, The good news can set them free, but you don't necessarily mean they get to walk out from behind their bars that day. There's a different kind of freedom that the gospel brings, that we are set free from our captivity, whether we're behind literal bars or we have other kinds of captivity. We will experience joy when we recognize, when we're honest, when we ask the Holy Spirit to expose our own measurement of captivity. I don't know what holds any one of you captive but I know that Jesus came to set you free. And when you realize that, you will experience joy. I was trying to think of an illustration of this, of a time I've experienced this or seen somebody go through it. And I remembered this story from a few years ago that really illustrates the fact that when Jesus enters the room, when the Holy Spirit, when God the Father enters your life, you are set free from the things that hold you captive and you experience joy. A few years ago, I got an email from somebody from a nearby church, another church somewhere in Fairfield County. And the email said, hey, our church is really struggling. And we've heard that there's some success at Stanwich Church. Can we come and visit and interview you and ask you what's going on at Stanwich? And I said, sure, of course, come any Sunday. Just let me know when you're coming. So the guy who sent the email, he came with a whole committee of people. And they came to worship one Sunday morning, just like you have done here this morning. And before the service began, he came up to me and he was very serious. He had a very serious look on his face and he was holding a clipboard. (laughs) 
and he had lots of questions for me. Very precise questions. The guy back there at the soundboard, does he get paid or does he volunteer? How much does he get paid? Who, who else is here? Uh, when was the property constructed and, and, and why? He had so many questions. I was just trying to answer them as best as I could, you know. Well, then worship began and we had a joyous Sunday morning as we always do here at Stanwich. The worship was magnificent. The Holy Spirit was really here. The gospel was preached right from this pulpit. And worship concluded and the guy came beelining right up to me again. He no longer had the clipboard in his hand. I actually barely recognized him because the look on his face had totally changed. And he no longer had any questions about the place. His first question was, is it like this every Sunday? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he wasn't asking me questions about who gets paid and what the schedule is and all that stuff. He was asking me questions about Jesus. Because he had met Jesus here in worship. And it changed everything for him. He was set free from his little clipboard. He was set free from all his questions, all his anxieties. He was really motivated, if I think about it. He was motivated by fear. His church was dying. His church was struggling. And he was doing anything he could to bring some, in his words, success back to his church. What he didn't realize until that day, I think, was that what his church needed, what he really needs, is the presence of God. That's what he experienced here in worship. That's what we are privileged to experience every Sunday here. And that's what Christmas is all about. Anne said it to the children. He's moved into the neighborhood. He's come to visit us here in this sanctuary. That changes everything. When we realize that, that he's come to set us free from whatever's on our clipboards, we can experience joy and awe and love and true fellowship. You know, when the baby John leaped in Elizabeth's womb, he was experiencing that spontaneous joy. Somehow he knew his Savior, his Deliverer, was coming into the room. And John eventually grew up, and he had a whole life of ministry that really just pointed people to Jesus. That's really all he wanted, was for people to experience the same Jesus he experienced, even from the womb. That's how John spent his whole life. And there's this amazing scene when they're both adults and they both have their sets of disciples and they're out there in the wilderness and John is baptizing people and he's got a whole bunch of disciples around him. But one of his disciples come to him. This is all written in John chapter 3. One of his disciples comes to him and they say, John, you're not going to believe this. Some of your disciples are peeling off and they're going to follow Jesus. What should we do about it? And you know what John says? John's excited. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I must decrease so that he may increase. See, the man with the clipboard that Sunday morning, he came with all his little questions, but by the end of the morning, he was all about Jesus. Same thing with John the Baptist, same thing with any of us when we realize that Jesus has come, that God is present in our lives, that he can set us free from anything that holds us captive. Suddenly, we want our lives to be all about him. It's no longer about us and our agendas and our questions and our anxieties. It's all about Him. And the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. See, John was so secure, not in himself, but in the fact that Jesus was greater. 
That's why he was so secure when people said, you're losing your whole ministry. He's like, I'm, that's great. Send them off to Jesus. The joy of the Lord was John's strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength as well. I said that kind of flippantly a moment ago I, about the clipboard, but I just want to go with that metaphor for another moment. Because it's a metaphor, but in some way we, we all hold our clipboards, you know? We all have our little anxious lists, our expectations, our anxieties. I answered several phone calls over the last couple of weeks about early admissions to college. People got, students got their letters this week. I answered other phone calls and emails this week about others starting the application process for boarding school or for college. And what struck me is that there's all this anxiety built around how good we can make our kids look to get them entrance into the place we think they should go. And I realize some of us view God that way. Some of us try to present our strengths to God, like a resume or like an application. Accept me, God. Will you accept me now? Look at how good I'm being. But did you hear the story? We leap for joy when he sets us free, when he enters into the picture, and the joy of the Lord is our strength. We don't bring to him our human strengths and say, now accept me. No, we bring to him those places where we're captive and blind and impoverished, and we say, here's what I'm bringing to you. O Savior, deliver me. Do you want to experience joy on Christmas and every day? Then ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the places where you are captive, where I am captive, where we are captive. What's on my clipboard? What are my anxieties? What are my sin patterns that constrain me and keep me in a place of woundedness or anxiety or depression? And we say, Lord, enter in now. I, I want to I leap for joy like a little girl seeing springtime, like a baby cow being released from its stall, like John the baptizer in his mother's womb. Expose my captivity and then make me realize once again you've set me free. That's what happened on the cross where all of our sins, all of our lists, all the things that hold us captive were dealt with once and for all. That's what we experience on Christmas. That's what the weight of Advent points us to. We have one more day of Advent. And then we remember that he has entered to set us free. Amen.